Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where influential guests and I break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is trauma and emotional inheritance. Let's do this. Hello, Kinda Daters. I'm Natasha Chandale. You're listening to Kinda Dating. Aisha's on vacation, so you're stuck with me alone, but we're going to have a great episode. Um, Before we get into it, if you do like today's episode, please remember to screenshot the episode, tag us, and tell us what you thought of it on Instagram. Um, Word of mouth is how we kind of uh, grow, so we don't have a marketing budget. You are our marketing budget. So please tell your friends and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it. And also, please leave us a five-star rating or review. Um, Just check your app and see if you've actually done it. If you haven't, please do it now. It helps us a lot. And follow us on social media. We're at Kind of Dating across the board, especially on Instagram and TikTok now. And Aisha is at Aisha Says Dance. And I'm at Natasha Chandale on Instagram and Facebook now and Natasha.Chandale on TikTok. All right, guys. So we all have a past. And oftentimes, it haunts us. I mean, ever sat at a first date and suddenly found yourself or your date spilling your entire family's history? All to say, that's why you don't trust people who wear Crocs. You or they might be carrying some generational trauma that needs a little love and care. And we have the perfect person to help you spot it and transform it. So without further ado, uh, I have a psychoanalyst and author of the book, Emotional Inheritance. Guys, welcome Galit Atlas. Hi, Galit. How are you? Thank you so much. I love this introduction and I'm so so honored to be here with you, Natasha. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to have you. You're so great. You you have such great work. we have to ask you, though, this this is our first question we ask every single guest, which is single or in a relationship? In a relationship. Oh, for how long? Uh, you know, I'm in relationship. I'm, you know, the last time when you asked me, the last time I dated was 30 years ago. So, you know. Oh, you look like um, you're <laughs> like 31. So. Yeah. Thank you very much. For that. I, I was in my 20s back then, in my late 20s, actually. Back what? then. So, yeah. I was like, man, yeah, she's a child bride. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Congrats. Wow. Yeah. You, you like, you have uh, made it work for a very long period of time. I made it work, you know, my my history is a little complicated, but I made it work for a little bit and then I didn't make it work and then I make it work again, but that still left dating out of my, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's such an honest um, story, right? I mean, it's hard for people to even imagine like 30 years with one person and never have any glitch. So it, it makes sense. Um, so you talk about, emotional inheritance in your book. And I'm just curious why you decided to kind of delve into that area um, of therapy and in this work. You know, I'm, I'm a psychoanalyst for more than 20 years now. And I think one of the things I noticed in my practice is that when I sit with a patient, I usually sit not only with them, but with their parents and grandparents and sometimes great, great parents. And so I think that was 
a feeling that I had about asking people about their history, about discussing what happened to you, but also understanding that what happened to your ancestors impacts who you are. That's so interesting that you said that. Like, I uh, am a big proponent of therapy. I've been going to therapy forever. Um, uh, I wanted it even when I was younger and I wasn't allowed to go. Um, I Mm. think it's the greatest thing on earth. And uh, it's interesting because I never thought about it from your perspective of a therapist that like, yeah, you guys are listening not just to, you're not learning just about us. You're learning about our our entire family. So it's like they are in the room with you. Um, that's so interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, I think they're in the room with us and and we know that who you are, your pa- our, our patient, is very much shaped by who your parents are, but also by what happened to your parents and their trauma and especially uh, the the unconscious communication around trauma, right? So it's about what they told you about their trauma, but also about what they didn't. Do you find that people are actually like honest about their experiences with their parents or or... You know, one of the things um, I'm always curious about because being uh, an Indian woman and, you know, in in our culture, people don't often talk, like go to therapists and um, people are are kind of, uh, they feel shameful. You know, there's a shame aspect of it. And, and so I wonder, do people ever kind of gloss over their family trauma or make it not seem, because they don't want to talk shit about their families? You mean in therapy? Yeah. You know, it's it's or a people really pretty interesting honest. question. I think that first of all, when people come to therapy, they they want to be honest. That doesn't mean that they are honest, but it means that they at least that's the, their intention is to be honest, right? And if if they're not honest, it's not because they try to um hide things and you know in, in emotional inheritance i call it secrets you keep from yourself or think the secrets we keep from ourselves what does that mean it means that sometimes we don't want to know sometimes knowing might cause us anxiety confusion pain uh, sometimes knowing something that we that we find out about our family or even identifying, right? Feeling bad for your mother who went through something is something that shakens you because you don't want to identify with her. You want to, you're angry at her, let's say. And I think for some people, one of one of the things that I heard from people who read the book, actually, uh, not necessarily my patients, is that the hesitation to think about their emotional inheritance is because they want to tell themselves that they could completely disconnect from the parents. And whatever happened to the parents happened to them. It did not impact me, right? And I think that's where the conflict is about knowing. And that's where we sometimes keep secrets from ourselves when when we actually say, I, I, I don't want to know. I don't care, right? That's so fascinating. Um, I... Uh definitely have been in that place before. Um, uh, you know, having a, a, I used to have a very rough relationship with my dad. And so then learning about his trauma, it, it obviously made me empathize with him when I found out, but you also almost don't want to find out because you're like, well, I don't want to justify his bullshit behavior. He was still a dick, you know? And that's um, exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think it's justified in a sense that, uh, this is knowing your your parents' trauma is not a way to justify their behavior. It's it is and it must be right. This is this tension that we explore in therapy too, right? What does it mean? Because sometimes the question is, so whose fault is it? If it's not your father's fault, so maybe it is your fault. Who's bad, right? And who's good? And so I think that you're right. It it is very confusing to realize that your parents are victims as well and you can be a victim too and that that doesn't mean that that it justifies 
anything, right? Being a dick or being abusive or being, and it doesn't mean that you have to forgive them. But I think that there is something about the way that they lived or what happened to them that that impacted you in many, many ways. And it's about knowing yourself. It's not necessarily about uh, forgiving them. I love that. And and can you just describe for our kind of daters who are who are tuning in, like what exactly is this emotional inheritance that we're talking about? And is it the same as saying trauma? And not necessarily. You know, emotional inheritance is the idea that emotions, memories, feelings, and especially traumatic experiences are transmitted from one generation to the next. And in some ways held in our minds and our bodies as our own. So so you see, the book is really about the link between our parents' and grandparents' history, and especially, again, traumatic history, and our own emotional struggles. So we find that some of our struggles, not all of our struggles, but some things that we deal with, we deal with because something happens, something happened in the previous generations to somebody, right? And I think the the book is filled with examples about tra- all kinds of traumas that happen to our grandparents or to our parents that even without knowing, it impacts us. And, you know, in the book, I call it the ghosts of the unsaid and the unspeakable, right? Those ghosts, those things that happen and have no, they don't have no form, they have no words, they, they don't necessarily are so visible but we feel them. We sense them. Oh, yeah. Uh, As you're saying it, I can like just think of a couple, you know, so our listeners can maybe try to identify some also. But um, uh, on my dad's side, my family never had girls. So they were all boys, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a few for like a couple generations. And then I was the first girl. But so there was a lot of like, attention on, on me and like, you know, overprotectiveness of me. And I didn't understand like, why are you guys so psycho like about about me, you know? But then I realized that my grandma had two daughters and they both died when they were, were babies. So they hadn't had girls. Nobody knew how to deal with a girl. And then that kind of trickled down. Um, so that's, uh, and then separately, my dad used to be like psychotically overprotective of me mm-hmm. and psychotically, like, I mean, wow. it was like, wasn't allowed to do anything, you know, um, I was very rebellious because of it, mm-hmm. but it was later that I found out he had had some trauma as a kid and, and had his boundaries violated, which, which is why he was Mm. so protective. I wasn't allowed to sleep over at anybody's house. I had to like, he had to pick me up from everywhere. And, you know, as a teenager, that's like the worst thing ever um, is being known to have this dad that uh, will will monitor everybody because of you. Um, So I lost a lot of friends and stuff because of it. Um, But also my mom on her side, she grew up very poor, which I didn't know. Mm. So growing up, we weren't allowed to throw a grain of rice, you know, because she'd always say, you don't know, you, you know, you don't know the value of this grain of rice kind of thing. And then I found out my grandfather was like poor, poor, poor. Wow. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. But now I see yeah. all of those things that I mentioned being carried through me. Those are excellent, excellent examples. And, I, and I'll tell you why. In some ways, right, in, in the book, I, dif- I, I deal with different kind of um, inheritance. Uh, and I think what you're saying really is if you are the only girl or if there were girls who died, right, what happened when there's a new girl? And the feeling around what happened, something can happen to her, right? And you might not even know that that happened. Right in many of of the cases that I discussed, the, my patients whom I tell this, their stories, they don't know that something happened. They just know that they have, let's say, a mother who is very, very, very anxious around her girl, but not around her boys. Mm-hmm. And then we understand that something about that is because of the history. Now, the the case with 
uh, boundary violation. And again, I, I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about, but I, I'm going to talk about a little bit about sexual abuse. Okay. Let's yes, say yes. that this is the situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the chapter that I have in the book about sexual abuse talks about a very specific way of transmission of sexual abuse from generation to generation. And you're talking about something that you pick up on your father's behavior, right? In his behavior, like he's afraid that something might happen to you. He he doesn't want you maybe, I'm imagining this, right? Maybe he doesn't let you sleep sleep over at people's yeah, houses. Yeah. He, did, he had like a d- didn't trust anybody, anybody, anybody besides our, my mom, my brother, me and him. That's it. Right. Nobody else is like in the inner circle. And you didn't know why. Or you no. did. No, no, you we didn't, didn't know why. why. I mean, we you just thought he was why. crazy. <laughs> like yeah. you're yeah. a controlling yeah. psycho. Yeah, because that's what happens to you, right? With yeah. trauma. Trauma makes you really frightened. And I th- and in in cases of sexual abuse, what's interesting and, and in some ways unique about those cases is sexual abuse is one of the things that parents don't run to share with their children. So we usually do not actually know about our parents or grandparents' uh, sexual abuse, history of sexual abuse. But what we feel is, and in, and in some cases, this is a very unique story that I tell about this case of sexual abuse of a, of a girl who was told that she was sexually abused, but in fact, it was her grandmother who was sexually abused. So the transmission in that sense, which is not so unusual, is, is it's almost as if the next generation feels as if they were sexually abused. And yes. and I hear I have patients who come in and so like I don't know I I never I don't think that I was sexually abused but why do I have these we call it symptoms right as if I was and one of the things that uh, you know psychoanalysts understand from research and from and I, I quote some of the research in in that chapter mm-hmm. is that the next generation takes on themselves that experience it's somehow transmitted to them unconsciously. And of course, we can we can try to understand how because it's not so magical, right? Unconscious is not magic; it's through verbal, nonverbal communication, right? In your case, it's much more verbal and much more uh, on the surface. But in some cases, it is not. It's just something about the body language, about about these small things that seems like they're not related that are communicated mm-hmm. that create a feeling of violation, of of fear, of fear of whoever that was who abused the men or women or right and and held in the in the mind of the next generation have you ever seen the show Ginny and Georgia on Netflix no okay i think you have Tell to watch it, it cuz it's literally a show about emotional inheritance and like generational trauma so so in Ginny and Georgia Ginny's the the 16 year old girl Georgia is this like beautiful cool mom but has like these very dark secrets and Ginny is this teenager going through like intense level of anxiety. And a lot of it is because of the stuff mom went through. She passed down to the kid. And mom didn't tell Ginny that she was sexually assaulted or abused or, you know, um, she was a, a teenage mom herself at 16. But because of that, uh, she told her daughter, don't trust men don't trust anybody, don't whatever. So then Ginny is going through life like she wants to trust people, but she can't. And like, and then when somebody lets her down, it becomes this like overwhelming, overwhelmingly anxious experience. And then she's trying to hold her mom's secrets, you know, but in holding her secrets, she's doing self-harm to herself because as a 16 year old, she's not equipped to hold an adult's secrets. Um, So it's, it's a... It is true that, like, so much of what our families tell us, I mean, anything, right? I think the big thing also is about money. People are always, like, told, uh, you know, some concept of money. Um, money money makes you bad. M- money makes you evil. I don't Dirty. care for money. Yeah. yeah. Or whichever one it is. Yeah, a lot um, of hypocrisy around money, right? Around money and sex. Yes. These two topics that people are very hypocritical about. And I think that's that's the, the, there are double messages there. 
because, you know, when you said that the mother tells the daughter, I haven't watched that, but be careful, you can't trust men. We have to remember that we communicate or parents communicate with their children. We can't trust men in many, many ways that are not necessarily direct, right? They, some mothers, let's say, do not tell their daughters, you have to be careful, uh, but they communicate the same message which is actually more confusing because then if I ask you, did your mom ever tell you to be careful that men are dangerous? You would say, no, she never did that. She actually told me that uh, she hopes I, you know, that she loves my boyfriend or that she hopes I, right? But there is some message that is communicated. And we, you know, in, in, in the book, I think especially in the last chapter on Alice, there is, there is that exactly that dynamic of a mother that had been betrayed and traumatized. And she and I trace how she communicates with Alice, her daughter, uh, her, her fear and her anxiety and warns her, but never explicitly, that she should, that the only person she should trust is herself, that she should never have a relationship because it's too dangerous. And I show in a, in a chapter, how does she do that, right? How is it that the daughter picks up something that is very confusing to her because it was not said explicitly, but mm-hmm. it was communicated? Oh my gosh, it's so true. And then and then it's hard to even, I mean, firstly, I'm, I'm very curious. How do you become aware of what emotional trauma mm-hmm. or emotional inheritance you are, you are actually inheriting? Yeah, that's a perfect question, you know, because I think that many people, um, first of all, did not even start with the the most obvious, asking, what was my, what is the history? So, and it's surprising, right? That you, we think, yeah, of course, I know my parents' history. But then when you go and methodically starts, you know, saying, okay, let's, let me go over what, what was my mother's history? What happened? And you start realizing the gaps. You start, you start noticing that, you know, some of the information, but some things are missing. And I think what we do often is follow the gaps. You know, follow not what, only what is said. And sometimes the information is what was said, like in your case, when you're said, when you're describing it, sometimes it's easier because what is, you immediately make the link between what happened to your parents and how you experience life. But sometimes it's more complicated. Sometimes there is nobody to ask somebody. There is a lot, sometimes there is a lot missing. And then we're sitting and understanding what is missing and how and if there is anybody to ask, you know, I, what I hear from people is that some people have uh, book clubs with uh, emotional inheritance, which is is a really interesting <laughs> idea. I didn't think of it myself, I have to say. But uh, some people told me that that's what their family did. And I thought, wow, that's that's a really special family, right? Yeah. Sit and read about emotional inheritance and then... Very open talk. family. Yeah. very. Oh, it's the opposite of what we're talking about, right? of people that are willing and want to uh, to share meaning, I would say, you know, to share meaning, to share something and to say, this belongs to all of us. Should people try to identify or look back at sort of those recurring messages that they've been told by their families about anything in their life? Is that sort of a clue to figuring out Hey, maybe I need to delve deeper to figure out where this is coming from. Yes, I think that's a really, really exactly. Because what we're looking for in therapy and outside of therapy as well are patterns, mm. right? Anything that repeats itself in us or in the parent, the, our parents or the people who raised us. What is it that we heard again and again and again? Right? Or what is it that occurs in our life again and again and again? Right? That's another thing we look at. I, I mean, some of what we analyze in, in therapy is our own patterns. I, I notice that I do the same thing. Even if, right, we're talking about dating, even if my date is different, uh, I still do the same thing. So that's a clue that it's something about me, that I need to dig deeper there and say, okay, what is it about me? 
that makes me do the same thing again and again. Yeah, definitely. And and that's um, some of those those triggers that we have. We have to be like very aware of. Um, listeners know that I was in a very uh, abusive relationship once, like many years ago, and uh, it left me very, very uh, reactive. Mm-hmm. And so I would notice myself deferring back to all the things my dad had said to me and then like amplifying them and projecting that onto other people who probably didn't deserve it. You know, Mm. there was the one abusive guy. And then after that, they were not abusive, but you, you're constantly projecting. And there was a, you know, I really had a whole time where I didn't, I, I use the DTA, don't trust anybody. Mm, um, oh my God. And, and yeah. I still, uh, I, I have, a, that's probably one of my areas I have a hard time with. Yeah, um, but that sounds like that's your emotional inheritance. That's yeah. what you're saying, right? But don't I still learned anybody. like now, you know, I'm in a very healthy relationship, so I trust mm. him. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you slowly have to go like, okay, how many people do I trust? Who do yeah. I trust? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have to like constantly be on top of it. Right, right. And I think from the perspective of emotional inheritance, and thank you for sharing that, I, I, because this is a, a fantastic example of, right, another pathway is to really say, right, if you, if you were my patient, right, and before you did all your work that you've done and you were in a good relationship, right, you would say, that's what I'm afraid of. And we would find out that this is with a communication that you had from your father and probably because of your father's history. And we will make the link between your father's history, what he communicated with you and your fears and work from, and start working from there, right? Understanding that what you are carrying actually doesn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. It's not your experience. It's somebody else's experience. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, you, you actually, you said something earlier about somehow when you figure out this, in, uh, you know, you say the emotional inheritance we carry can create gaps between mm-hmm. what we want for ourselves and what we are able to have. So what do you exactly mean by that? Like how, how is our emotional inheritance keeping us from our full potential? You know, Maybe let's start with your example. I think it's a good example, right? Because you, what you wanted is to have a healthy relationship, right? And what I see in therapy, that people come to therapy and they say, I want to have a career, a successful career, or I want to have a, you know, a romantic relationship. And somehow that doesn't happen, right? And what we do is that we sit with that gap. And we ask ourselves, how come you want something and you're not able to achieve it? Why? Right. So, and, and again, there are many ways to get to the answer why. It's not always your emotional inheritance, right? There are other reasons why. But what we add to our investigation is that question. And I think in your case, it's, it's, it's a fantastic example, right? Of saying yeah. like, yeah, it might not be the only reason, but certainly there is something about your father's history, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, of that is related to trust mm-hmm. and to pain and to trauma that creates that gap. Because somehow, because of something he went through, you are not able to have a romantic relationship that you uh, with somebody that you trust. And maybe, again, I don't know if that is true, but for some people it's true that maybe they repeat something from their parents' history, yes. right? Maybe, yeah. th- you want to say something about that? <laughs> no, no, that's right. I'm just, I'm pointing. I'm like, yep, it's true. It's true, right? Because yeah. that's what I see in my practice, that people repeat. We tend to repeat. That's the human nature. We tend to repeat. And in the book, what I talk about is that we repeat in order to repair. We repeat, right? And, and so what does it mean repeat in that way? You choose this abusive person unconsciously. And the wish to repair is that you're going to make to you're going to make it better and make him a better person and fix it. Right? But usually that doesn't happen. Right? Because I think part of what we understand and if these days with the 
even in a frame of toxic people, that some people will not change. And sometimes we have to give up on the hope to either change them or fix it or make things better. We just have to say, you know what? This is not for me. Goodbye. Oh my God, that was such a, we're, we're definitely quoting that in, in Kind of Dating's Instagram. We repeat in order to repair because it's totally true. I mean, um, my dad was like, you know, growing up, don't trust anybody, anybody, no friends. You know what I mean? I have had my best friend since I was seven. And to this day, he will still be like, mm, don't tell her everything. Don't, you know, I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? Like, so me being rebellious was on the other side going, I'm going to show you that people are trustworthy. And in doing that, I unconsciously was picking people that were not trustworthy to prove right. him right. Exactly. My dad, right? That I'm telling you, you can trust people. Yeah. And then yeah. when this person broke me down, I was like, everything my dad said is right. Don't mm. trust anybody. Yeah. You know, the guys are dicks. People suck. Like I went the other way. And then that's yeah. what, that was where, you know, finally like, a couple of years after I went into therapy and I, I worked all of that out, but it took me a long time to still make better choices of like, I don't have to prove anything to anymore. I don't have to prove right. that like, don't trust anybody or don't, or trust everybody. It's, but that's the thing, right? You're talking about the splitting between don't trust anybody and trust everybody, right? And the, this is the splitting like that in therapy. If you said it, I would say, okay, let's, let's stop. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. Where does that come from? What are we talking about here when you're saying, let, let, you know, trust everybody or don't trust anybody, right? Is there anything that is in the middle? And I think that that was your work. It sounds like that was your emotional work to find, right? To find. Oh, definitely. 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 Um, You've obviously talked to, you have lots of patients, you you hear about all of these things, and, and I'm sure this affects their sort of dating lives and relationships. What are some of the ways that people's emotional inheritance tends to manifest in our dating and love life? It's a good question. I think one of them is trust, because trust is, as you said, it's, it's, a fundam it's fundamental, right? We can't actually develop a relationship without trust. So how much we trust, how much we're able to trust, how much we trust too much, what do we, right? What do we share? What do we not share? That's one piece. I think another example is uh, the, you know, how close we want to be or able to be versus how, how distant we need to be. So intimacy. Right? Yeah, which that we're doing also, another episode on. We'll do another episode yeah. on intimacy, which is a big thing, right? But yeah. that's also an emotional inheritance, could be an emotional inheritance. Yeah, because I feel like I'm curious what you think is, um, you know, I, I, the biggest complaint everybody has now in the dating world is just, you have these apps, you go on these dates, but nobody wants to commit. Yeah, yeah commitment is a huge thing, right? Is a lot of that also kind of, do you think, anchored in emotional inheritance? It, it, Definitely could be, right? It's not, again, it, it, not everything is emotional inheritance, but mm -hmm. absolutely, right? And I think about we ever, anything that is related to trauma, uh, right, in the past could also communicate, be careful, right? The word be careful is related to trauma, right? Be careful, don't trust, be careful, don't commit, uh, be careful, be careful, people will always abandon you. Be careful, people will always uh, cheat on you, right? That's another, keep your freedom because somebody could take everything from you, right? All of these anxieties and fears and communications that our parents are communicating with us unconsciously. Yeah, and, that uh, is an interesting one. Also, what you said about freedom, because um Personally, that is like my one thing I, if if I say like, what is the one thing I want in my life? It's freedom. And, uh, and it's because of, you know, being in environments where I wasn't, I was controlled all the time, but also in seeing like my mom in a relationship with somebody who was controlling my grandmas, you know, in relationships with people who are like more dominating personalities, 
you realize like that was where my commitment issues came of like, I used to think a relationship meant I was trapped. Yeah. And that's why I didn't want to be in um uh, in yeah. a especially the after the abusive life one in traps. Yeah, not then you right. feel I was like, no. oh my gosh, you're trapped. Yeah. And so uh, it, again, it took me a lot of work to go. Oh, but with the right person, mm-hmm. you're not going to feel like that. So what am I looking for? I'm just looking for somebody who is not as dominating and somebody who is like an equal and treats me with respect and mm-hmm. and allows me to be an independent person. Um, And then that way I won't feel like my freedom is being taken from me. Um, But it is that unconscious stuff because my my, my mom or grandma, nobody ever said to me, you know, marriage is a trap. (laughs) But I saw it. (laughs) That's what you learned, right? And so then I was like, you know, uh, really living that life. Right. then you know what we're talking about is the unconscious. I mean, the power of the unconscious and the, the idea that anything that we do not know about ourselves has the power to control our lives. Yeah. Right? We, you don't know it. You don't know that you're afraid of it because of this. And, and that's the beginning of your work. And the work you've done is to, to really unpack that and, and realize, oh, well, why, why am I so afraid? Of, why do I need so much freedom? And of course, if you're oppressed, Right, or if you're controlled and or if you're dominated, you would not want that. Yeah, I, I'm curious what you think because, um, you know, nowadays everybody uses the word red flags a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know, is it a red flag to go on a date with someone and kind of see their emotional inheritance and their story come out? Um, how much of it is okay? especially in like the early stages of dating, like should people be saying all, all their stuff? I know, like you said, it happens. No, because everybody's afraid, right? I want a fl- red flag to know to run away. Uh, but I'll tell you something. I think that the emotional inheritance, we all carry emotional inheritance. So if you see somebody's emotional inheritance, uh, it's not necessarily a red flag because we have to assume that you have an emotional inheritance and I have an emotional inheritance. I talk about my own emotional inheritance in the book. We all have emotional inheritance. To me, the red flag is if there is completely no, not only not acknowledgement, but also no access to anything. You know, when somebody is so, we call it defensive, right? And and usually defensive means that when you see something or want to talk to something, they throw it back on you, right? To me, that's a that's a red flag, right? It's not the fact that they have emotional inheritance; it's the fact that there is no access to anything emotional. Yeah, I've also found when I was dating that when I met those kinds of people, I would kind of look for the awareness. Mm-hmm. People always yeah. want to tell their stories, but then I would be like, are they adding anything to that story that sh- tells me they are aware of this issue mm-hmm. and and it is something that they are on top of? Because right. if somebody's just venting, then I then you have to just debate how much of this do you want to take on? Right. Um Right. right before I met my boyfriend, there was a guy I went on a date with uh, or a few dates with and uh I, he he was great. I I liked him, but then he he, he was a he w- used to be a Mormon and was talking a lot about sexual trauma. You know of of in the community how they they weren't allowed to do anything and and you know so, sort of all that oppression. And so at first I was like listening. I was like, okay, like some of it is normal. You know, it's baggage. But after like the third, fourth date of this person still bringing it up and I'm realizing there's no additional awareness, um, mm. I was like, oh, I think this might still be an active problem Yeah, for this I person. Understand. I understand what and you're saying. And is that something I wanted to take on? And at the time, I just didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, and so uh, how much of that awareness is is important? Right. Listen, it depends to whom, right? I think to me, awareness is key. To you, awareness is key. I, I'm sure that some of the people say, Meh, you know, I'd rather not know and I don't want to have awareness. But for people that are doing the work, awareness is key because couples develop together, right? If we think about long-term relationship even. In order to develop and grow together, 
both people need to have awareness, mm -hmm. right? Both people need to have a self-reflective capacity. Uh, we need to, right? What you're describing with that guy is somebody who comes with a fixed narrative, right? They have a story. I'm sure I can promise you that they tell this story in the same way to every day, every day they go to, right? And that's the story. And when if you ask questions about it, they would just repeat the story, right? And so there is no access to that, right? You, you, it's, it's, it's closed. You can't get in. And to me, that's often an indication that you actually cannot get closer to that person. It's closed. That's a really good way to put it, that there's no access to, to it because they're, they're just telling a fixed story. Yeah. It's true. There, there are a lot of people who do that. This is an important question because obviously more emotional inheritance comes from our, our family history. But every family has a history. So right. people, you know, and, been, and every family has a trauma. Exactly. Right? And we've all been yeah. through some shit and we all have secrets. Yeah. So like, does that mean we're all screwed? <laughs> no, it means we're all human. Right? That's what it means. It means we're all human. And that's why, to me, even talking about emotional inheritance is not a scary thing. We, I mean... We have it. This is what we are. It's like we have limitations. We can get sick. We die. We right. We're not perfect, and uh, and we have we all have issues, and we all have carry something from our past and from our history, our parents' history, and that's what we sit with, and that's what we process. And this is right. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that? That this area, or have you found this area of emotional inheritance? Um, does it overlap with our attachment styles? Have you noticed the way people uh, are kind of dealing with their emotional inheritance affects? You know, because I could see it making people more insecure sometimes, or more avoidant as a result of. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, I, it's interesting. You know, a big, a big part of my perspective and what I talk about is attachment theory, but actually nobody ever asked me about connecting them. And I think the answer has to be yes, right? Because attachment style is about how we are raised and how our parents were, right? And so, for example, I think what we see with disorganized attached uh, babies, right? That's, that's the last attachment category that they added with that, that uh, the babies are, uh, the, the infants are more frightened in the moment of reunion. You know, like when you talk about uh, the attachment, right? There is secure attachment, there's avoidant, there is anxious, and there is disorganized. Uh, the organized, uh, the, they, we call them the, B, the D babies, right? Are the, ba the infants that in the strange situation, uh, research, uh, when the parent, back then it was a mother, has come back, you see that the, the infant is a little, uh, gives gives mis message, mixed messages. They want to be close to the mother in that research, but they're also afraid. And what they found is that a lot of these mothers of D babies are traumatized, right? So they, so so this is the answer to your question, right? And I'm sure that is true for uh, uh, the anxious attachment it, because those are coping mechanisms, right? With something that, with pain. And so the, the parent that is traumatized carries traumas and sometimes they, they are more frightening or sometimes they're even abusive, right? That's where we, we end where we started, right? Some of, some of them could be also reenacting their trauma with their children. Again, not all of them, but some of them. And that's the parents, you know, work to deal with their shit, as they say, yes. and deal with their trauma so they don't traumatize their children. Yeah, it's so, because uh, I have um, a good friend and she has two sons and one son, very young age, is already, already very anxious. Mm -hmm. And the other son is so happy-go-lucky. And she's like, I don't understand. Why is this one kid so anxious? And I was like, girl, you used to be so anxious around him as a kid. Like, it was mm -hmm. you. You taught him a state of anxiety. And so, and then, you know, COVID happened and his poor kid's anxiety went a thousandfold because mom's right. anxiety went up a thousandfold. So this kid doesn't understand why he is 
truly like at seven years old, like anxious all the time. Right. And uh, and then this new kid, but in that meantime, now she's done a bunch of work. She's in a happy mm-hmm. state. She has a second kid. And second kid is like happy-go-lucky. And she's totally cool. And, and you know, she's like, I don't understand. Why is this kid so happy? And that one was so stressed. And I was like, you, you're the only constant. Right. But you, but and also we have to remember that it's never too late to do the work and it's never too late for these kids even, right, to become less anxious. I mean, during COVID, the kids' anxiety and still, even now, right, children's anxiety is really in a, in a place that we have never seen before. And I think it's because we were all anxious, right? We were afraid and we were worried and we were trapped as you said before and we were like each family with their own dynamic and that was very very horrible for everybody for parents and children and so one thing i want to say is that right it's everybody's victims in this situation so it's not about blame it's about responsibility right it's not the, the mother's fault but it's the parents responsibility how do we ensure you know as we wrap this episode how do we ensure that your past isn't affecting your future? Like how can people work on their emotional inheritance and and try to transform it into something a little bit more positive? Yeah, you know, first of all, I want to say our emotional inheritance is not only our anxiety, it's also our resilience and our hope and our strength, right? So I just want to add that because in therapy, of course, we don't work on resilience. It's people, if you have a resilience, great. And, uh, you know, we, this is not the, the work we do in therapy. So we focus on the negative parts because those are the things that we help people with. But they're also good parts. And the other thing is that I think it's it's really process, 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 right? We go and we go and we talk and we unpack and we uncover and uncover and discover, uncover and discover. And that's the, right? That's the ongoing process of, and it's a, it's a lifelong process to some degree, right? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. No matter exactly. how much you know it, I'm always like, I didn't oh, know that. There and here it is again, again right? Yep. Here it is again. And you yes, learn, you learn exactly. to say, hi, 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 issue. I I recognize you. I know you. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So true. So true. Well, Galit, this was so great. This was such a uh, enlightening episode. Honestly, it's like uh, rare for me to hear topics that I don't know <laughs> as much about after all these oh, years great. of doing this podcast. Um, so this was fun to to really have a bunch of aha moments in the middle of uh, of the podcast. Thank you so, thank so you for much. That. This was really great. Um, but Galit, not you're done. not done. We we have uh, six oh, questions. Right. It is, uh, you know, we ask every guest the exact uh-huh. same six questions in every show. So uh, it's uh-huh. our version, uh, you know, of like a rapid fire. Don't think about it too much. Galit Atlas, are you ready oh, for no. your six questions? Yes, I'm ready. You got this. You got this. All right. What is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Uh, probably if they know how to listen. Mm, good one. Uh, what is one deal breaker? Mean people. I, I don't, I, I, and I don't mean people that are just mean to me, but especially, you know, I look around and I see how they treat other people, like how they treat the, the waiter in the restaurant, the taxi driver, the homeless person on the street. And uh, that's a deal breaker for me. You'd be surprised that actually yeah. comes up a lot. I think that's, that's an important yeah, so it's a deal good breaker. Thing. I'm glad that you know, that's, we see how yeah. people treat other people and we learn something about them. Mm-hmm. So conversely, what turns you on? Uh, probably people's mind, intelligence, creativity. Yeah, no, it, maybe answer. it's not sexy enough, uh, but uh, to me it is. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, no. Oh. I think it is. I I think smart yeah. people are very sexy. Uh, what are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? Mm. Oh. <laughs> I think that probably one of my strengths is that I'm a, I am a listener and I am a caretaker. And the other, the flip side of that is that I am, I have separation anxiety. Mm. 
Mm. I think that's why I see patients. That makes sense. I always make fun of myself that when I, I'm a real psychoanalyst who see patients three, four, five times a week. And, uh, and some of it is that it's hard for me to separate from them. Oh, <laughs> no, that's fair. Makes sense. Galit, what is love? That's a hard one, you know, but I think, and tell me if you heard that before. I think love is a verb. It's not a noun. It's, it's, not, it's not just a feeling. Yeah. Uh, it's a behavior. So to love is to behave lovingly. And that's what love for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think Oprah mm. says that. So you oh, are in good <laughs> And besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? Mm. Okay. Tell me more. that's so good that's a good one I like it I understand (laughs) (laughs) I think you know I have I have a patient that I really love and he always says the one thing I want any you know woman I date to say to me to say to me and to feel is that she understands me I want her to say I really understand and the last one is just uh, the one I like the most is I agree with you (laughs) <laughs> you, you are, are right, right. exactly <laughs> <laughs> love it Galit well thank you so much for again being on the episode you're you're hanging on um, we're going to do one more which is a, a, another really great topic on intimacy but before that if if some of our kind of daters are, are hopping off right now how can everybody find you in your work so I'm on uh, first of all emotional inheritance is everywhere on Amazon and bookstores and everywhere you can find me on Instagram uh, Galit Atlas. I think it's Galit underscore Atlas. And uh, on Facebook, my author page is Galit Atlas PhD. So thank you. Awesome. And we will have uh, links to all of her socials, guys, in uh, the show notes of this episode. So make sure you follow her, get her book. Clearly, there's a lot to unpack there for all of us. So so get it. Um Guys, follow us also. We're on social media. We're at Kind of Dating across the board. I'm at Natasha Chandale on Instagram and Facebook, Natasha.Chandale on TikTok. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. If you like something you heard, screenshot the episode and tag us on social media. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kind of Dating is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Kind of Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Adam Pineless and Karina Uribe are producers. Our opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis. <laughs>